Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where you can hear the GC team discuss and debate topical developments in public policy and regulation from around the world. Hello, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Beale. I lead Global Council's work on climate and sustainability. And today I'm, I'm joined by Giorgio Corbetta, who is our senior associate in the energy team. And today we're going to be discussing stranded assets and the industrial strategy um, and why it's important, what you need to know, what you might be confused about, um, and what's the way forward in terms of addressing this important issue. So, Giorgio, welcome today. Uh, thanks for Thank joining you. for the discussion. Before Thank we you. dive into the details, let's talk about what stranded assets mean. I'm sure a number of people listening have heard that term, maybe in relation to coal, um, but maybe some people also have never heard it at all. So what does it mean and why do we need to know about it? Yeah, so that's a very good way to start. Uh, I think we can start with the definition that's given of stranded assets by the International Energy Agency, which defines stranded assets as those investments which have already been made, but which at some point in time before the end of their economic lifetime are no longer able to be basically profitable as a result of climate policy. So this essentially means that the operator of the asset is stuck with an asset that it's no longer making money and therefore not able to basically break down uh, nor make basically profits uh, from the original investments. Um, when it comes to energy, we can indeed say now that stranded assets go beyond coal. As for instance, if you think about it, the great majority of natural gas power plants in the European Union are also supposed to be to, to, to be basically phased out uh, by 2050 if Europe wants to become really carbon neutral uh, by that time. Okay, so I hear you. What we need to think about is obviously the term stranded means, you know, left somewhere with, with nowhere to go. Uh, and that this is affecting more and more of the energy sector, not just coal. But I have to, to challenge you a little bit, you know, usually you typically think of something being stranded when you're caught off guard or your ride didn't pick you up on time. Um, shouldn't energy companies have seen this coming? Why are these, why are they getting caught out and having assets stranded when we've, you know, seen the climate crisis ahead of us and there's been regulation increasing over the last years? Yeah, you're very right in this. I think that um, the, Ryden has been on the wall for a long time. And in particular, uh, it is also very true that fossil fuels in power generation have been increasingly pushed out of the market by cheaper renewable energies over the last decade. And it is only last year, I would say, uh, that on the other side, renewables um, really um, begun to generate more electricity than fossil fuels. So I think, um, although this is nothing new, what's really different now is the pace 
of the energy transition. And this is really impacting the profitability of the assets. So there's two things here. On the one side, uh, as a trend, coal power plants and in general, fossil fuels uh, being pushed out of the market by renewable energies is nothing new. And on the other side, the current legislations, and in particular, I would say the current climate action ambition of the European Commission under President von der Leyen is really accelerating this trend. So in a way, is really something that it's also politically driven. Great, I mean, that's helpful. So this is, I mean, this is especially in the EU, we're seeing the pace quicken around climate regulation. Is it primarily climate regulation then that's driving this or are there other areas that are also you know, driving this? Is it financial sector regulation as well that's impacting the number of assets that are now going to become stranded? Yes, so this is really an effort across the board. Definitely climate legislation per se um, is possibly the largest driver. Um, if, you, if you think in general of the overall 2050 carbon neutrality objective, that's really what's basically driving um, changes across um, all the other areas of legislation. Definitely, there is also a big driver when it comes to financial services. We're all looking at um, what's going to be uh, the future of the EU, um, EU sustainable finance taxonomy. Uh, I think the, uh, the current discussions uh, point exactly to this problem. And in particular, uh, I think we're past uh, we're past the point where coal is the focus now because much of the discussion now as to uh, the future power mix of the European Union is about gas and natural gas. But the issue is basically the same. So whether fossil fuels are sustainable as an economic activity and what are the criteria? I think... Uh, in broad terms, um, as I said, environmental legislation as such is the biggest driver, uh, but we do also see in particular in the European Union, a push um, from many other DGs of the European Commission. If you, if you think of the Fit for 55 package, uh, that really entails everything from transport to renewable energy as such to emissions trading. So um, it's really a push that's coming from many, many sides. Okay, so not just from a climate view, but then we see that everyone's getting on board this train. I want to unpack a little bit of what you said, particularly a term that I'm not sure everyone is familiar with, um, although you said we're all watching it at Global Council, which is true, which is taxonomy. Um, can you say a little bit more about the taxonomy, how it fits into the EU's sustainable finance action plan yeah. and what what we should expect from the taxonomy in terms of you know rules around what might become stranded in the future yes so um in general i i think that what's important to understand from the taxonomy is really 
where it's coming from. And where it's coming from is the need to name things. And in particular, name what is really sustainable as an economic activity and what is not. So the primary goal is really to identify assets and economic activities. Um, of course, uh, the fear that we see across many stakeholders in the energy sector is that this overview of what is sustainable and what is not could be used in the longer term to also impact the economic viability of different assets. And if you think of the power sector where still the large majority of the power that we use, the electricity that we use in the European Union is coming from actually fossil fuels. Um, it is clear why many stakeholders are thinking that the taxonomy is going to have a real impact. Um, so in a way, this is where uh, the taxonomy is coming from. And this is how it's being looked at by many stakeholders. So what are companies doing about it other than freaking out potentially? How are they you know, facing the fact that the taxonomy is coming, um, that you know, it will impact them? It may mean that more and more of their assets become stranded if they're not able to find a solution. What are they doing or what should they be doing? Yes, so I think that uh, in the energy sector, Companies are definitely looking at the taxonomy, um, but of course there are other legislations and also other trends uh, they are aware of in a way and have to be aware of. I think as to the timing, you know, what's uh, really interesting now is that um, there is still a margin for fossil fuel assets to play a role going forward. And if not that, at least there is, and we're seeing the possibility for energy companies uh, to still leverage in a way the, you know, the might of basically fossil fuels in power generation and the amount of workforce that it employs to uh, try and secure a, a safe way out of business. Um, one example uh, is the agreement that uh, the German coal industry um, has, has agreed with the German federal government last year about the coal phase out. So the German energy sector and in particular, the coal power sector is gonna get over 4 billion euros uh, to phase out its capacity by 2038. And I think this is important because it really shows that um, although the trend is clear, there are ways that uh, the industries, um, well, that the industry and in particular the coal industry is using to basically carve a way out. Um, in terms of, you know, what else uh, the companies can do, I think um, there is there is not much in terms of the, the current use 
for in particular coal power plants. I think it's interesting to understand uh, that if the European Union is really serious uh, to become carbon neutral by 2050, there is only 5% of the fossil fuel power generation capacity that's installed now that could be there also in 2050. So this is really pointing to a massive change. And um, what I basically argue in the blog is that um, repurposing of fossil fuel assets, and in particular, I focus on coal assets because of the of the magnitude of the install capacity and also the impact on employment um, is really one of the way forward. Okay, so you've talked a little bit about, you know, some options for companies. They don't have to necessarily think there's nothing to do. So there's some potential for companies in terms of transforming these assets to new to new uses. You mentioned an important point, though, that I wanted to pick up on in terms of jobs and workforce. So, you know, while there might be options for companies in terms of using the physical infrastructure in a different way, what does that mean for the workforce? So what are we talking about? You know, you've heard the term in the EU, uh, just transition that I think was came about in around COP24 in Poland um, with the idea of protecting Polish workers and Polish coal workers from the transition away from coal. What does that mean for all of this? So how, what is being done by the EU or what is being done by companies to protect the workers in this transition? Yeah, that's very, very true. I think that there is and there will be an impact on fossil fuels workers. The European Commission has calculated that 400,000 people um, work directly in coal and oil and gas activities in the European Union, but over 230,000 of these uh, are in the coal sector. So um, these people are all are also, as you were mentioning, largely concentrated in Eastern European countries, such as the Czech Republic and Poland. So unless those workers are retrained and deployed elsewhere, uh, we're really going to see a considerable drop in the employment rate in the um, European Union towards 2050. Um, what the European Commission uh, has done was, in fact, launching the just transition mechanism, uh, which is a program uh, whose objective is really to ensure uh, nobody is left behind in the energy transition. It is a program uh, which is endowed with 80 billion euros across three different schemes, and it will run through 2027. Um, but although you know the plan aims to mobilize 150 billion euros, there's a number of commentators out there who have argued that this is not enough in very basic terms, given the magnitude of change that the Green Deal is bringing about. So is that money, I mean, what what will that money be used for? Will it be given to companies to retrain their workers? And if I'm a coal worker, what are my options for retraining? Where, 
Does it involve collaboration with other companies, for example, in the tech sector or other areas of new demand? Where Where is the money going to go and, and who's involved in kind of using that money and how much of it will actually go to, to, to finding workers' jobs? Yes. Yes. So this is, this is a very important point. And I think what's useful in this discussion to keep in mind is that um, this is also nothing new in the past. If we look at Europe, um, coal and steel are basically at the basis of the of the origins of the European Union, meaning that coal um, has a long history in many regions of the European Union. So there are definitely um, many opportunities when it comes to reskilling and redeploying workers from uh, the coal industry in particular. So if we if you look at the region of the Ruhr uh, in Germany, um, you can really see the benefits of a strategic approach to reinventing essentially a coal region. So one example in the Ruhr region is the city of Essen, where um, there used to be a, an industrial complex which um, was the largest and most modern uh, coal um, mining facility in the world, which was converted into a museum and reopened as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So um, the this museum receives 250,000 visitors a year. So that's a big change. And when it comes to the city of Essen itself, um, in 2010, it was itself European capital of culture. So I think there, there are many, many ways of using that money. And when it comes to the workers themselves, uh, going back to your question, I think that there are many opportunities in theory. Um, but once again, a strategic approach needs to be taken from really benefit from those. So for example, uh, power plants operators could be re-employed in biomass power plants, which is a cleaner technology than coal. Um, coal miners themselves can find employment in copper mines, which is a material heavily used in the renewable energy supply chain. Um, engineers can be retrained as wind farm technicians and geologists can even go work as basically tour guides after mines are in fact converted into museums. As um, is the case I recall in the coal mines around um, Leipzig, uh, which I visited a few years back. Okay, so we shouldn't lose all hope. There's going to be jobs uh, in museums and tourism, and we all have a reason to, to go visit coal regions of Poland, Czech Republic, and Germany. Uh, I've even heard some have been turned into some movie sets now that you're mentioning that. that yes. um, 
So great. And what is the EU considering doing about all of this? So we've talked a little bit about the EU funding for um, just transition, but with the industrial strategy, which you've gone and explored in, in your blog, tell us more about how the industrial strategy might aim to tackle some of these important issues and, and reduce the pain of stranded assets. Yeah. So what is interesting, I think, about business in ingenuity is that it usually gets there before policymakers do. And this is exactly what happened with fossil fuel assets repurposing. Um, the examples I mentioned were really um, the fruit of, of the collaboration between local businesses and municipalities. Um, I think um, there are and there have been creative ways to convert fossil fuel assets in something useful um, for the communities these assets are located in. I think um, what the European Union and in particular the European Commission in, in the context of the industrial strategy could do is basically recognize um, that if these initiatives were organized in a consistent way, um, that would ensure uh, they add value in the longer term. So the EU industrial strategy could provide exactly this by creating a framework enabling the development of skills, uh, also facilitating asset access to funds and supporting the scalability of the repurposing industry. Um, and moreover, I think we can also say that uh, the creation of a EU-based repurposing industry would also offer European companies access to international markets, which are in themselves also transitioning away from fossil fuels. So um, repurposing expertise will be much valued. So is the, is the industrial strategy likely to pick out winners? So what I mean is, are they likely to indicate in terms of repurposing and reskilling where companies should be focused? Or are they likely to leave that up for companies to decide themselves and just set a pool of funds? How will it work in practice? Yes. So I think for how this would work in practice, we can look once again and one more example, uh, which is the European Battery Alliance, uh, which was created in 2017 by the European Commission to develop a European domestic batteries value chain. I think the, the path towards that has been uh, bumpy, I would say, uh, for two reasons. One, because not all stakeholders were agreeing as to, in fact, the opportunity for the European Commission to pick batteries as the technology they want to invest in. In particular, uh, compared to other, other, other technologies such as uh, hydrogen or renewable fuels. So this was uh, the first uh, uh, choice that was basically made. And the other one was that once uh, the European Commission managed to rally industry 
around this topic, uh, this uh, this choice and this strategy going forward, the other difficult aspect was to agree as to how to go about it. So I think that um, um, when it comes to repurposing of uh, fossil fuel assets, this also won't be easy or wouldn't be easy. But what's probably different now compared to the European Battery Alliance and maybe other examples from the past is that this is in a way a an economic activity that is benefiting many stakeholders. So to start with, I think that um, the industrial strategy will go along uh, the lines of the twin green and digital transition in the European Union. And so repurposing clearly fits into both because uh, um, its, uh, its purpose is really to um, increase, well, to mitigate the negative environmental impact of fossil fuels assets, but also deploying um, the latest technologies to make that happen. And then uh, last thing I wanna say on this is really that there is once again, a plethora of stakeholders uh, who would benefit from a, um, a strategic choice as to uh, about investing in repurposing in the European Union. If you um, if you think uh, that this you know repurposing itself will create jobs for fossil fuel workers um, in the same value chain or or in different sectors. Um, the constructions and real estate industry will benefit from more business. And, uh, and also after the European industrial basis has developed repurposing skills, as said earlier on, it could offer these kind of services to other markets outside of the European Union who are also transitioning away from fossil fuels. Okay, so a fair summary is that we should be watching for a strong focus on repurposing in the industrial strategy, and that we're likely to see a considerable amount of funding put towards reskilling, retraining, repurposing of the infrastructure, uh, but that the EU is unlikely to uh, be too prescriptive in what they set. We've seen uh, that with the taxonomy itself, that they have gotten some pushback in terms of um, Technolo technology neutral choices and such. So we likely to see the, uh, some linking between the industrial strategy as well and, and what comes forward out of the taxonomy. I think there's a lot of different angles we could go with this. So we could probably keep talking for the, for the rest of the day. Um, but I wanted to thank you, Giorgio, for helping us at least understand the, the 101 of stranded assets and, and what we should be looking for in the industrial strategy. And we'll be looking forward to going in more depth in, in the next discussion. And I just wanted to thank everyone for tuning in. Um, if your business or your investment is exposed to in, uh, 
where you think that you may have a stranded asset in your business or you're wanting to understand the industrial strategy more in the EU in particular, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. Don't hesitate to, to reach out to Giorgio as a font of knowledge on this. You can find uh, his contact details um, and those of all of our teams on our, on our website at www.globalcouncil.com or via the link in the podcast notes. Um, so thank you again. Wishing you all a good rest of the day. Thank you, Giorgio. Thank you. For more insights, blogs, and analysis, you can visit our website, www.global-council.com and subscribe to our mailing list. And you can follow us on Twitter at global underscore council.